right, let's uh, go to the word of the Lord this morning. I want to preach a sermon this morning to you that has uh, been on my heart. Um, would you turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Genesis? Um, I usually have a have that place marked so I don't have to look for it, but sin is how the Lord rearranged my sermon this morning. Uh, he does that. I mean, it's like he's got the prerogative to do that. How many know God can do anything he wants to, can he? Um, in uh, Genesis 15, Um, after this the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision don't be afraid Abram I'm your shield and very great reward but Abram said oh sovereign Lord what can you give me since I remain childless I've remained childless and (laughs) what will you give me that sounds like a prayer we pray God knows what he's talking about and he knows what he's talking about a child okay uh, when we pray, we should be honest with God, shouldn't we? And go ahead and tell the Lord what's in our heart. I, I prayed about something the other day, and I specifically wanted to mention something to the Lord in my prayer, and I forgot. And I got up and walked away, and then I remembered. So I went back, and I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I forgot something. And so I prayed that prayer. And uh, But here's what he says. I remain childless the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. Okay, well, let's go over a little bit more to, um, let's go over to in uh, the 24th chapter. Isaac and Rebecca is the story. And It says, Abram was now old and well advanced in years. Now, I'll tell you what's happened. Sarah has died. Ishmael has moved on. And Abraham has Isaac, his son, the promised son, who does not have a wife. And so... Abraham is really tuned into this because how in the world can God's great promises come to pass if they do not have children? That's the simple thing, isn't it? It's not hard to understand. I want you to know something, that Abraham had to believe God right up to the last of his life. Isn't that something? It was a walk of faith throughout his entire life. He didn't just have some good thing that happened to him. At the end, God kept made his promise, and then Abraham lived happily ever after, and there was never a trial. There was never a time where he was uh, calling out to God to bring his promises to back to pass. He had to believe God from then on. The minute he met God, or God met him, and called him out to go to a place where he didn't even know. 
He looked for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker was God. So here he is. He's very old now, but he can still think, and he still puts together in his mind, I've got Isaac. God gave us Isaac, but he doesn't have a wife. So he comes up with this, this plan. He said to, he, he confided in his chief servant to take, to go on an errand for him and to swear that he will do it. And I'm going to visit this later in this message today. He said, I want you to swear. I don't mean swear as in cursing swear. He said, I want you to swear that you're going to do something and get a wife for my son. But he didn't want him to get a wife from the Canaanites. Well, there's a reason for that. The Canaanites were extremely ungodly, extremely, so much so that it would be difficult for us to describe their activities here in this forum today. They were so disgusting of people. And so I know in this culture you're not supposed to say anything about anybody else and it's all inclusive and everybody can just kind of do what they want and serve their own God if they want to. Like how many gods are there anyway and, and do what they want to and you don't have a right to judge and on and on. But I'm going to tell you something. These people, these Canaanites were awful. But right in the middle of this awfulness was this servant of God. And God had spoken to him the servant of the Lord, Abraham, who now tells his servant, his chief servant, which we believe to be Eleazar, same servant. I want you to go, I want you to go to my people. He says that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son. Okay. The servant asked him, I like this. I like what he asked him. Because he's already formulating in his mind how he's going to carry out this mission that Abraham gave him. That's a good sign. He says, it's, it's not unbelief. It's not unbelief at all. He said, well, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me? It's almost like he's already found her. And so he's exploring all these possibilities. What if she doesn't want to come back? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land and who spoke to me and promised me an oath saying, take your offspring. I will give this land. He will send his angels before you so that 
you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from your oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So your servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning the matter. Okay. Faithfulness. God is faithful. Can you say amen to that? Think for just a moment. Not too long, but just a moment. Times in your life that God has been faithful to you and has helped you when you really needed help in little ways. I've told stories about God's faithfulness to me over the years, of which I won't recount at this moment, but he has been faithful and come through for me so many times in small, in small ways and big ways. He's led me into communications with people who were, who were needing help. One Wednesday, years ago when my kids were little, I was a carpenter by trade. Still am, but anyway, and I was preparing a cement slab to pour, and it was hot. But you know what? The word of the Lord came to me. Where Moses said, show me your glory, O Lord. Can you imagine that? Did you know you could say that to God? You, you, you have permission to say that to God. Show me your glory. And God spoke that to me. So I'm working. I go home, clean up, change, go to church, and it was my night to preach. And hardly anyone was there, very few people. It was a small Wednesday night group. But, you know, I, I have this belief as a minister that it doesn't make any difference to me if only a few people there or if there were a thousand people there. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to minister the word that God gave me. Remember a fellow by the name of the Baptist minister, the, the uh, evangelist, Billy Graham, went to a revival that uh, from all intents and purposes was a failure. It was a washout. And I think only one or two people got saved in the whole thing, and one of them was Billy Graham. You can't go by the numbers, friends, okay? We have to go by the faithfulness of God, and that's what I want to preach on tonight, this morning. And so, anyway, I went to church, and I preached a sermon, and I went from that word in the, in the word of God, where God, Moses said, God, ask him, show me your glory. And Moses was kind of on a roll because God said, I'm not going to go with these people. You know, he had finally agreed to send a surrogate. And Abraham said, no, we, we, it won't work that way. You're going to have to go with us. And finally God said, okay, I'll go with you. And, and, uh, and so anyway, Moses continued, and he, I guess he thought, well, I'm on a roll right now. So he said, well, why don't you show me your glory? <laughs> you, know, if, you know, God's moving to my behalf. I want more of you. And uh, there was a man and his wife there, and, he was, and their daughter, and he was a minister of a church. And some things had happened, and he was discouraged. 
and he was going to quit. And I didn't preach about that. But something that the Holy Spirit said to him out of that fed his soul. And he was encouraged, and he went right on back to his ministry and continued. And it seemed like a small thing, but it was a a big deal to him. It may not be something that seems small to you, may be a great big deal to somebody else. And it was a big deal. So anyway, here's what the servant does in verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels. Now, this guy, he's in charge. Well, I guess you can say Abraham's actually in charge, but this is the guy that runs everything. This is the guy that makes the, the machinery work. This is the guy who makes that organization function with all of their agricultural. And, and Abraham was a very wealthy man. Did you know that? He was very wealthy. He had lots of servants, a, a lot of people in his organization. In fact, I don't want to get too away from my thought or I won't be able to grab it, but when Lot was kidnapped, Lot and his family were kidnapped, Abraham heard about it. And since he was a relative in loyalty to his, his, uh, his family, he selected 318 men, young men, who had been trained to fight for battle. And he went down there and he got Lot back and everything he had. And you know, I could just preach on that, but I better not. I better get back to this. So here's this servant. He gets 10 of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things. Don't you love it when somebody comes to your house and they bring all kinds of good things? From good things from his master. He set out for Aram, Naharim, and made his way to the town of Nahar, which originally Abraham had come from that region. And he had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. This guy knew exactly what he was doing. the time when women go out to draw water. Now, where would you go to find a wife for Isaac? Well, you would probably go where there are some women, I suppose. Maybe, that was, maybe his thoughts were just that simplistic. But anyway, so then he prayed. Aha, key thing. Nothing happens without prayer. If we don't pray, might as well forget it. You know, if someone called me, if Alan called me at the last minute and said, hey, I need you to preach tonight or this morning or whatever, and um, first I've heard of it, if I had a choice between trying to study and praying, you know what I'd do? I'd pray. That's what I would do. Because the Holy Spirit would bring to my heart things that he has spoken to me in the past. 
God will speak to us when we need him the most because he is a faithful God. We're fixing to see his faithfulness in action. That is, if I can see this. And he says, he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham. He gives credit where credit is due. Give me success. (laughs) Give me success today. Look, I would encourage you to pray and say, God, give me success today. I wouldn't pray and say, God, I don't want success today. I just want to get by. I just want to get to glory land. That's all I want to do, just get to glory land. Really? No. Pray for success. Why not? Pray that you will prosper and you will be successful. There's nothing wrong with that. And this servant wanted to succeed in the mission that he had been commissioned to do. You know, I loved my dad. I adored my dad. And, and when he would tell me to do something, I, I just, I couldn't wait to do what he told me to do. I was just a little kid, and one of my chores was to spit shine my dad's boots. He was a drill sergeant. And I spit shine my dad's boots. I mean, they look like black marble. They look, I learned how to do that. And one day, he called me in here, and he said, what's this? I had forgotten to shine one whole side of the boot. I mean, I was just a little kid, okay? Give me a break. <laughs> so anyway and his reasoning was this he called me brother he said now brother how's it going to look if I'm standing in front of a guy and inspecting him and his boots are shinier than mine oh my goodness we couldn't have that now could we so I would spit shine my dad's boots (laughs) and I love to I love to do that for my dad this servant loved to do things. And he was a true servant of his master. Well, show me, give me success today and show me kindness to my master Abraham. I see, see, I am standing beside this spring. You didn't really have to remind God where he was, but he did. See, I'm standing right here by this spring of water here. Uh, And people are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar so that I might have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So his plan is in action. Get this. He's just prayed this prayer. Before he had finished praying, guess who shows up? A girl named Rebecca. I had a cousin named Rebecca, and we called her Becky. So... He has just said the last word of his prayer, and Becky shows up. This is a neat story. 
It'd be neat if they had a film crew there to film all of this. But <laughs> So the servant hurried out to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too. So, so far she's passed the test. Right? Can you see this in your mind? I'm seeing it. Until I will draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar. Now notice this. She's not all talk. She does it. She emptied a jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all the camels. I don't know how much water camels drink, but I have a few cows. And when they drink water, they make a sucking sound, and the water level just goes down, you know. So she must have really had to put a lot of water in there. For He had ten camels, I believe it was, wasn't it? Ten? All of them drinking water. Poor girl. <laughs> so, so she drew enough for all the camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely. She's applying for a position, but she doesn't know it. He watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man, I like this, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a beaker. Do you know how much a beaker is? No? I don't either. But <laughs> it was gold, okay? It was gold. A beaker is more gold than I have, okay? Oh, and, and check this out. And two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Same question. You know how much a shekel is? I don't. Not right offhand. I'd have to look it up, but I didn't. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, born to Nahar, his very family, which is what he had asked the servant to go and find a wife from that family line. Is God accurate or not? He's in the right place at the right time. Doing the right thing. And God is too. <laughs> He's right there with him. Well, she answered him. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Please, praise to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord had led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban, 
and he hurried out to the man at the spring as soon as he saw, as soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up, my, my mom always had us, we, we were from the Pentecostal background, good people, but they didn't believe you ought to wear jewelry. Rebecca didn't get that memo. <laughs> Rebecca got, came back home, and guess what she did? She didn't haul this stuff in a sack. She had it on, okay? You give a woman some gold jewelry, and she's going to put it on, isn't she? I got Cindy some flowers one time for a special event, and I was waiting for a compliment that I do good. She said, yeah, but I do like gold and silver. <laughs> and I gave her flowers. I mean. <laughs> I sure love my wife. She's a good she's good for me. Don't you? Love your wife. You, will, you should love your wife. Love your mom and dad if they're still living. Love your children. Love the Lord. Love the church. Love the plan of God. There's plenty of room for hatred in this world. There's plenty of hatred to go around. So <laughs> she's got the nose ring and the bracelets on. And he heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her, and he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. Come on. You know, we've got whatever you need. Just come on to the house. And so anyway, he told the story that Abraham, the mission that God, Abraham had sent him on, and in the telling of the story, Rebecca consented to go with him, and she went with him, and he brought her to Isaac, and they went into his mother's tent. She became his wife, and the plan of God just went on from there. <laughs> don't ever give up on the plan of God in your life because God is a faithful God. And so I want to transition to us the New Testament to because you see, this servant did something. He was totally faithful to Abraham. He could have cut corners. He could have took a little bit on the side for himself, maybe. He could have told, twisted the story. But he was 100% faithful and dedicated to the mission of Abraham, knowing that Abraham was a friend of God and worshiped the Lord. I want you to look in the book of Philippians. You see, we know that God is faithful 
to us. We know that. We know that he's, he's been faithful always. He's faithful and abounding in, in love. Psalms 86, 15. Psalms 115, 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. He's faithful to us if we are tempted. We were talking about this in our Tuesday night meeting. Uh, temptation. And God is faithful to his people in temptation to not allow us to be tempted more than he knows we can bear. He's even faithful with that. And he provides a way out so that we may be able to bear it. The last time I ministered here, several, two or three months ago, I preached and I spoke from John 1, 7 through 9, where it says, but if we walk in the light, he's in the, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. If we claim we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And I spoke about it then. Last Sunday, Greg read from this same verse, and here I am again reading from this same verse. It makes, it makes me think that God is trying to tell us something, to, to inform us about something. I read this, and I thought about all sin. When the spirit of repentance is working in our lives, we don't say, Lord, I want you to forgive me of this sin over here, but not this one over here. No. He forgives us of all sin, 100%. You know, years ago, I was a, an investigator. And we, we, this was before DNA. We like to rely on an eyewitness. But sad to say, an eyewitness isn't always correct. And... Uh, so we asked for or looked for an eyewitness, and then we tried to get fingerprints. And uh, a good print is pretty accurate, but you got to get all those points in there, or it's no good. And and uh, then we we tried every way we could uh, to get uh, to identify a suspect. And then came DNA. That was a game changer. Because DNA, the accuracy, is like, oh, I don't know, one to 200 million. And for DNA, I guess that's pretty good. But if we're talking about my salvation, DNA is not good enough. He says he forgives us of all sin. That's 100%. All the time, every time. Amen? It's not that it's just good up to 200 million. And then that next one, sorry. I wouldn't want to be out from under the blood of Jesus in that one 
speck, would you? No. How about the atomic clock? You know, this atomic clock is an amazing thing. It's, it's measured in, I wrote it down here, it's measured in, it's gone past seconds to centimorgans, whatever that is. It sounds, it sounds pretty high end, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I'm going to be honest with you, it's out of my league, okay? I, I'm going to have to hang with the, the seconds, okay? That I can understand. And, and it's good for about, you lose one second in 100 million years. I just can't have a watch like that. I'd have to, I got to have a watch that'll keep time. You know what I mean? I, I got a citizen's watch. <laughs> I got to have a little bit more accuracy than that. But what if one second out of all of that time, a hundred million years, I was out from under the blood of Jesus? That ain't good enough. That's not going to work for me. I want to be covered all the time, every time, don't you? And he does that for us. Why? Because he is faithful. He's faithful. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, I want to show you, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I want to show you something. We know that God is faithful to us, but what about our faithfulness to him? So we're faithful to him when we pray and we read the word and we, we uh, live our lives right and we walk before him as we should. But you know something? We have to be faithful to him by being faithful to our other people. That's how our ministry works. We don't just minister to God and everybody else, leave me alone. I'm being spiritual. I'm worshiping God. I don't have time for y'all. Leave me alone. That, isn't, that is not how it works. We have to help one another and, and shore up those that are weak and do for others, don't we? Yes. Take the price tag off of stuff. Everything don't have to have a price tag on it. Don't keep track. If you help somebody, help them again. And he says... Talks about his joy and his crown. Paul was thinking back about the product of his ministry, the people he had ministered to in his life. You know, as I get older, and I suspect others do too, you start to think about what you did in your life and what, what you have accomplished or where, what you have done. And... For, for Paul, his, his investment was in the churches, in the people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And he referred to them as his joy and his crown. He wanted them to all to succeed. And then he says in verse 4, well, here's what I want to, the point I want to make. The first thing we've got to do is we've got to stand firm. I love and long for my joy, my crown. This is how you should stand firm in the Lord. We've got to stand firm in the Lord. Amen? And so 
he begins to give instructions about how to do that. And you know something, dear friends? We have to make up our mind and that we're going to stand for God and we're going to believe God. We're going to live for the Lord. And to stand firm is something we have to do in our faith. And sometimes it's easier than others. Sometimes it's very difficult. There have been people that have been tortured for their faith. We, I haven't, but, uh, uh, but you know, we, the way we stand firm in the Lord is we walk in the light as he is in the light. We keep believing. We keep doing and working. And so, uh, the, in Ephesians 6 and 10, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the, his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord. Our strength comes from the Lord and it comes from one another. I encourage people to come to the house of the Lord. But notice a situation that arose here. He says, I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Sentaichi to agree with each other. To agree with each other in the Lord. The second thing I say that we need to do as the people of God is we've got to find a place of agreement. We have to find a place, a place of agreement. In 1994... I was invited to sing at the First Baptist Church of a town north of here where all the who's who's go. And I don't mean that in an ugly way. It was just a, uh, a lot of doctors and people, doctorates and, and teachers and uh, college professionals. And uh, they were there, and it was a really good church, big church. And they didn't know I was from a Pentecostal background. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't tell them. But uh, so I sang at this church. And then the preacher got up to preach. And to my total amazement, he starts talking, kind of like I'm talking to you all today. But he started talking about, you know, until we repent and come to agreement, on issues that we that we disagree about, I don't see how we can go on. I've never heard that before. It, it, but it was it was shocking in a way, and apparently they had had some really terrible disagreements that went on in their church, and it had gotten to the point that it was at the boiling point, and so he just got up and he and he said that I don't see how we can go on. And so this went on for a little bit and it kind of got quiet and there's all these people in there. And a guy out in the middle of the group got up and walked down there, which that in itself was a little odd that, for that culture. And he went up and he began to repent and say, I, have, I haven't been, I haven't done right of, been uh, antagonistic and on and on. And he said, I, I want to ask you to forgive me. And then another guy got up 
and, and came. And this was totally unheard of. But I'll tell you what, I have no quarrel with Baptist people. They're good people. I don't have any quarrel with Catholic people or, or Pentecostal or anybody. I don't have room for that. I don't have time for that to be a, a quarrel. But he, they were repenting. And Paul comes upon this situation, and I don't know what this disagreement was. I don't need to know. We're not given that. At least I haven't. And he says, I plead with you. And he named them both. I plead with you. I plead with you to agree with each other. The first time I read this, the first time I, I really zeroed in on this, not the first time I read it, but the first time it really jumped out at me was one of the nights that uh, the minister was here preaching. Uh, huh? Dan. The, the night Dan was here. And it was either that morning or the previous morning I read a scripture just in a morning devotion from the third chapter. All of us, verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view. And if on some point you think differently, that too God can make clear to you. And he read that scripture that night. <laughs> it wasn't one of those scriptures you hear all the time. I read that and I think it was that night he read that scripture. And you know something? We're not always going to agree on everything. If we ask all the ladies in here, what color do you think we ought to paint this place? <laughs> Let's just say I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm going to go on a vacation on that deal, okay? Yeah, well, the church I used to go to, they did that. And oh, that was <laughs> interesting. Everybody's not going to agree. And but here's what I, I, I think we can do. I, I'm not preaching because I know something. I don't know anything, okay? <laughs> but we've got to find a way to agree, and there are things we can agree on. There's some basic things that we agree on. Cindy and I have a disagreement every now and then, but you know what? The bottom line is I love Cindy, and Cindy loves James. That's the bottom line, Okay? The bottom line is you love God and God loves you. And he loves that person sitting next to you. So here's this pastor saying, I plead with you to agree. Find, so the first thing we want to do is we want to be firm in the Lord, strong in the Lord, take a stand. The second thing is we want to find a place of agreement. Now listen to this. Yes, and I ask you, Loyal yoke fellow, help th these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. So who are the loyal yoke fellows? Well, it's you and me. Uh, you are the, you are to be loyal uh, Abraham's servant. The one word that I could describe him as being is a loyal servant. He selected 10 camels. He took wealth with him. 
he went and he obeyed the Lord and he prayed. And what happened? As soon as he prayed, he had no sooner said the words than Becky walks up. The right person at the right time. You know, I look around our culture today and I see a lot of disloyalty. Disloyalty. A lot of books are written. You ever notice that? In the, at, at the height of all this that's going on in our country and the world, a lot of books are written because people, they're reading everything and, and this is the perfect time to write a book and make a bunch of money and get a lot of people to buy your book. And some books are be, being written that, that are disparaging against the leadership, some leadership. And it's easy to do that against someone, make a lot of money and do a lot of damage. But where is the loyalty? And you, and you, you, may, you may could say, well, uh, I, I see that on the uh, Trump and his people's side, but what about the other side? I'll be honest with you, I always thought, and I'm not endorsing anybody, I always thought Biden was loyal to Obama. Right, wrong, or indifferent. I always thought he was at least loyal to him. And I see people that are loyal to the president. And then I see those who are very disloyal. That's the point I'm trying to make here. I I want us to be loyal. Be loyal to the church. I've always thought, give the church the benefit of the doubt. Always. Be loyal to the pastors and the teachers and the leaders. Be loyal to other people who, who are trying to do something for God. Be loyal. Be loyal to your people, the people at work. That you, you don't cheat on your time. You give, them a, you give them eight hours of work for the time. Eight hours of pay. Be loyal. We had a, a sheriff that was voted out, and I heard people say, a few people, say unkind words about him. And then the new sheriff came in. Guess what? After a while, I heard the same people saying unkind words about this sheriff. And some people are just simply not loyal. And either, both of those Men have, did me right. I never had a problem. They always treated me fair. They gave me everything I needed to do my job. Be loyal. Like that servant was. Embrace, this is the last thing. Embrace the role of yoke fellow. Embrace that. You know what the, the heart of man says? You ain't putting no yoke on me. In Psalms 2, they talk about casting off all restraints. I do what I want to. I go where I want to. Nobody tells me what I can and can't do. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of Esau. Yeah. He was the man of the field. He was the Marlboro man. He was the, he was the guy who was cool and, and uh, the hunter and the... You know what I mean? And, but you know what it also says? He was a fornicator. And God has something to say about that. And so he traded his birthright for nothing practically to Jacob. And Jacob made something out of it. 
oh, yeah, Jacob was a trickster. It's like Alan's dad used to say, you, you wouldn't want to buy a used car from Jacob. But <laughs> I thought that was funny when he said it. But anyway, <laughs> embrace the role. The yoke usually means punishment or uh, indentured servitude or a dead weight. But God's yoke is an instrument of faithful service. Amen? So when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, he says his yoke is easy, it's light. And it's as if the, the word take, it's take my yoke. It's as if you it's as if you pulled the anchor up and sailed away. Take it up and go on with God. Pick up the yoke and flourish in God. That's the yoke that we want. I can tell you right now, and I'm just about to, in all of my walk, Christian walk, called in the ministry, I never have felt that I could just go where I wanted when I wanted. And I like to watch those Alaska shows and, you know, where they go out and they build these log cabins and they, they go out and hunt. And I told Cindy, I said, we're going to do that. We're going to go up there and we're going to live off the land. She said, I'm not. <laughs> See you when you get back. <laughs> and, you know, what the truth of it is, even if I wanted to, it's too late for me to do that. You know, I, I can't stand the cold. My hands get cold and... I've got arthritis. I, I can't handle the cold. Anyway, I never killed a deer in my life. I wouldn't know what to do. But, but you know, all of that, all of that being said, I still never felt like I could just go where I wanted and do what I want and and run the run the show by myself. I always felt like that. I went to the church I went to because God led me there, not because well it's it's closer. I can get to it closer. Or I like the color of it, or I, you know, I, this or that, or I like the decor. No, I, when, when Cindy and I went started at this our church in '94, we went to the church. It was Shady Grove in in Grand Prairie, and and it was and I had been to that church before. I had taken a youth group there a couple of times, and and I loved it. And and she said, Yeah, it's it's great, but this is not it. Okay. And we had a bulletin that showed this satellite church down here. And we came down here and have been here ever since. So listen, my friends. God is faithful, okay? And he wants us to be faithful, not only to him, but to one another. Take up for each other. Defend one another. Find something good about another person that you can say. And edify one another. That's what we need to do, edify one another. Cheer each other up. Hallelujah.